With your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel, according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, You are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld, netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly ordered his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We tend to think that this gospel passage is about Peter. And it's understandable. We Catholics hang an awful lot on this and its parallel passages in the other Synoptic Gospels. Like, we, we, what, what, what you are, Peter, means a lot if you're a Roman Catholic in a way that it doesn't necessarily to other Christians. And so, so when we read this, I think it's almost impossible for Catholics not to viscerally, in an almost tribal way, feel like we know what this passage says and we know what it means, and it's mostly about Peter. But Peter doesn't seem to think the passage is about Peter. <laughs> and Jesus doesn't seem to think the passage is about Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Isn't that better than a rock? I mean, doesn't that sound like the high point? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one for whom we've waited for centuries. Don't you think that has much more punch than you are rocky? <laughs> it's hardly worth comparing, right? This is important for us because when we read this passage, 
which to be clear, I do also think helps establish the papacy. This isn't against the Pope. But this is the clearest singular declaration in this narrative of Jesus' of life of who he is. Peter isn't given the keys willy-nilly. He's given the keys because he's the first one to get the answer right. And it turned out the answer wasn't the kind of thing you could score on a catechism quiz. It was bound up in a relationship. It depended on being able to be called a name. And a name that would mean something to the name caller and the name callee. It's like the first time someone called me Shorty. It fit. But I'm loud and kind of annoying. And so before that, nobody had ever had the cojones to call me Shorty. When Jesus speaks to Peter and Peter speaks back to Jesus, they're in a relationship with each other. When Peter says you are the Christ, this isn't an abstraction. This is a personal thing. You're my everything. You're the one I'm pinning all my hopes on. You're the one I'm placing all my dreams against. You're the one I'm going to measure everything else I do for or against for the rest of my life. And so Jesus can in turn say to Peter, you are rocky. And on this rock, I will build my church. And I'm not just being funny there. Uh, there's two different words for rock used here. Our Protestant friends like to point this out because they think it somehow minimizes Peter's role. So it's true that when Jesus says, I say to you, you are Peter, that it does, it's in the diminutive. It's like Ido or Ida in Spanish. But that doesn't make it less any more than when they call me Padrecito, it means something less. It actually means something more. So you are little pebble. You are rocky. And upon this Brick, cornerstone, slab of rock. I will build my church. Because who we are is bound up in relationship. The most important titles most of us have, and the name problem, probably most commonly like addressed to us, right, is mom or dad. Mom or dad. For most of us, that is like the high point of what any of us will ever be. That shouldn't make you sad. That's actually the goal of human life. Mom or dad. Moms and dads only exist in relationship to sons and daughters. Can't be a mom or dad without a son or daughter. Some of us aren't moms or dads. But my heart thrills when I get called uncle in a way it doesn't when I get called father. I don't mishear that. It's important for people to call priest's father. But, but, but when my niece says uncle, her voice, her intonation, her relationship to me, because I only have the one, is altogether different than every other child's relationship to me. That's the closest I get to what most of you have. But the reason I want you to hear that and to feel that, and those of us that are in other places, the reason I want you to kind of feel the lack too right, is because that kind of intimacy is what's at place here. And that kind of intimacy is what he's calling not just Peter, but us to. 
Because the question he asked Peter remains the single most important question in the whole history of the world. Who do you say that he is? For centuries, we have lived and died by this question. Who do you say who he is? Think about this, Christians. Every pope any of us has ever seen, every pope anybody has ever had a photograph of, has died very comfortably in his own bed. Maybe kind of not Pius IX, but the rest of them, yes. And the people that first heard this in church, like in a formal way like this, did not know a pope who wasn't murdered. The people who first heard this proclaimed in the church from the Gospel of St. Matthew did not know a pope who wasn't murdered for the faith, who wasn't a martyr. That's the kind of relationship we're talking about. So if you're willing to take on your share of the keys, which belong, obviously, to priests and bishops in a way they don't to everybody else, but we all have a certain role in opening and closing the gates of the church and in opening and closing our care for those who come in from the outside. You've got to have an answer to the question. And it's got to be a good answer. It's okay if we're in a place personally where we're still figuring some of that out. So if like where I'm sitting right now, especially if I'm relatively new back to church, I don't know, Father. Jesus seems smart. Much of this is probably true. I don't know. Jesus, God? Okay. It's a fair place for someone to be. I'm glad you're here if you're still with me. Stay here. Stay here and we'll walk with you. But I need for you to understand where we are as a group. Because in just a minute, we're going to say God from God, light from light, very God from very God. And, and that's why we genuflect when we come into the church. That's why we send little bits from what happens here out to people who can't be here. That's why we have people whose whole lives are set apart and dedicated just to do this thing. Because if Jesus is God, then everything changes. If Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the awaited one, if he fulfills the law and the prophets, if he can actually forgive our sins, everything's different. And if it turns out God came in the flesh and had skin and bone and hair, or not, if it turns out God had pimples and diaper rash as a kid and crotch rod as a teenager, if it turns out all of that is possible, then what it means for you and me to be human is a totally different thing than the way most of us operate pretty much of the time. And it makes possible something which is unimaginable outside of these walls. God taking on flesh again in the form of food and entering the hearts and the bodies of his people so that they can change the world. If you're not ready to meet God face to face, don't come to communion. Not because we're being mean, but because it's not safe for you. But if you're willing to look God in the eye, if you're willing to see in the beggar king of Nazareth, the king of kings and lord of lords, then draw near 
with all humility and faith and claim him as Peter did, as your own.